Executive Director of the Massachusetts Coast Coast, welcoming you to the No Flood Newscast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Coast Coalition, with host, myself, Joe Rossi, and co-host and vice chair of the Massachusetts Coast Coalition, Tim Williams. And welcome to another No Flood newscast. And Tim, uh, lots of has been going on this spring, uh, well, winter into spring already with flood. Um, you know, we've had a couple of good guests on from December, January, kind of talking about where the industry is headed, um, legislatively what's going on. Um, and, you know, the one thing that no matter what happens this year will not change uh, is the need for flood information and education. In fact, Tim, I would argue that that's only going to increase in, in need. Yeah, there's certainly the increase is there, the demand is there, you're getting more and more uh, people asking realtors and consumers reaching out directly, you know, for, you know, information on floods. So it's become, you know, a hot topic. And with that, we have somebody who focuses their entire life around flood education, and he's known uh, by two names. And, you know, we were joking, uh, Tim, you're the only person that doesn't have a moniker uh, next to your name. So by the end, we'll come up with one. Well, with us today, uh, we're, we're really honored to have with us Chris Green, who's also the flood insurance guru. Chris, it's good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Well, Chris, you know, I, I think everybody on the internet that's involved in flood in some way has seen the really interesting videos that you do. And I say interesting because not only are they educational, they're also entertaining. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you do, both professionally and, you know, even though the videos you do are professional, uh, you know, I would say that that's also entertaining. So talk to us a little bit about that. So my name is Chris Green. Uh, I have a master's degree in emergency management with a focus in flood and hazard mitigation. I've been in the insurance industry now uh, just over 12 years, was on the auto and home side for really just about nine years, sold that, doing a little bit with flood. Uh, I bought a house on flood zone about 10 years ago, had a terrible experience with it. People started asking me about my educational background in flood, and I kept getting more and more of it where I didn't have that much time for the auto and home. And so back in 2017, I was like, you know, I want to start a conversation starter. So I came up as floodinsuranceguru.com as a joke, you know, just to kind of catch people's attention and educate. Well, in 2018, I was like, you know, I'm going to implement video more in my business. So I did a 30-day challenge. I said, let's see what video looks at the end of 30 days. It's a big engagement. It's a big impact. People asking questions. So I said, I'm going to do one year of flood video. I'm going to do a daily video for an entire year, 365 days. I'm going to travel the country. I'm going to be discussing map updates. I'm going to be answering local questions of local neighborhoods. We got into that year, and at that point, we made the decision to actually move completely out of auto and home and strictly into flood insurance, uh, flood education, where we do CE for realtors and lenders now, and also the flood consulting side, where I do uh, mitigation projects and uh, flood zone changes and things like that for customers. And now, literally, that's all we do all day long. We've built a national brand in about two years, which was never the goal. 
Uh, I grew up with a severe learning disability, so education is just my passion. And we just wanted to provide people with uh, answers to the questions they have or not knowing to answer, ask a question before they lose everything. And that kind of brings us today now where we run a national podcast every day that basically goes with our video. We write a blog. We address every single flood map update across the country every month. Wow. So, so Chris, you started, what state did you start in? You said you had a terrible experience when you first did your flood. Just start there and then how you went. I know you're national now, but, you know. It was in Georgia. I went, I went to buy it and they're like, well, two weeks before closing. Your closing is not going to work out. Your flood insurance is going to be $3,000 a year. It's like, eh, something's wrong there. And so I was able to show, of course, FEMA that the house was built within compliance. So I had a grandfather down to that $350 rate. The realtor had no idea what to do. The lender had no idea what to do. They're like, well, how did you do this? I said, well, you have to understand the guidelines of compliance with FEMA. I said, my background is in emergency management. I almost went to work for FEMA during Hurricane Katrina. So literally, I mean, that's all I studied for two years. And they're like, well, we didn't even know that was an option. And so since then, I've done a policy assumption for four different property owners on that property and we just recently did a loma on there um helping them and so at that point that's when i realized man, there's a really big need here not just to like you know try to scam people like people hey get a free quote or get it you know these people get a cheap flood insurance quote it's more about hey you know what about what yeah you give me a quote now but what is it like two year two year three year four year five i call it flood premium forecasting now and helping people understand all that when they go to buy a property. Hey, am I going to be able to resell it? Has this thing flooded before? You know, giving them all this information. And I discovered that through going through that process, it was just terrible at that time, which is back in 2012 now. I mean, you, you, you hit it right on the nose. I know Joe would think of this. When we think of flood forecasting, we have so many repetitive properties that are secondary homes with the NFIP that were flipping constantly because they were getting massive increases and no one knew about a private option or anything else. They weren't educating their clients. It's, you're spot on on that. I have a client right now that's buying a house. You say, hey, this company gave me this cheap quote of $1,500 a year. I say, ma'am, your house is negative five feet. Let me tell you about that quote. That carrier has a 90% non-renewal in your area. You know, Let's throw rates out the window. And let's look at the true risk of your property. The chances of this thing flooding if something happens are extremely high. That's what you need to understand going in at year two, year three, year four, NFIP 2.0. You could be looking at significant increases. And if you want buy it, that's fine, but you at least need to have the information. And unfortunately, they didn't tell her that. Hey, I got a cheap quote this year for you. Yeah. I actually did today's video on that. The dangers of the first year premium. You know, what is it like year two, year three, year four? What kind of data can I use to give me an idea of what I'm going to be looking at? And that's what we do every day uh, for property owners. You know, that's, Chris, that is really interesting because I think one of the things that you've highlighted is just the importance of flood education at every stakeholder level, right? This is not just a, you know, agent needs to know about the flood issues. It's the realtor needs to know. It's the consumer needs to know. So talk to us a little about, you know, the the critical importance around flood education at all the different levels. You mentioned that you do education, for example, like lenders and realtors, real estate professionals and stuff like that. So what's the importance of that for not just you to make sure that they know about it in your industry, but also for them themselves, um, uh, you know, in their transactions? Well, it's really important for them to understand. One big thing that we still see with lenders, you know, back in 2019, the FDIC approved private flood on a lot of different loan types and they're, and they'll be griping, Hey, 
the bank won't accept my private flood insurance. I said, well, what type of loan are you doing there? Well, I'm FHA. I said, well, FHA doesn't do mortgages. They insure them, so they follow different guidelines right now. Now, they're still open for public comment, and they just closed, and hopefully they will accept it. But it's important to understand your loan type. But even if they have a conventional, many times the loan officer may not be on the same page as the underwriter, and so they're mm. telling them no. And what I did is I did a, a blog, a video, and a podcast when that took place, and I connected it to the FDIC release. So each time the lender says, you know, show us proof, I can send them that, and they can see that. And I said, you know what? You're right. We had no idea. And so it's important for that on the lender side. It's important for that on the realtor side. You know, with the property, I was, hey, what type of loan are you looking at? It can have a big impact. You know, what are your options? Uh, understanding admitted versus non-admitted. Not You can't just simply move a customer because you have a cheaper quote. You know, that, that doesn't follow state guidelines as an insurance agent. And most of them don't understand that. Oh, I just moved the customer to this company because I got a cheaper quote, but it got non-renewed next year. And now I got to take it back to FEMA and it's $5,000 more. Uh-oh, E&O claim. Yeah, and and so that and that is um, so important because I think there's even those um, that may be familiar with regular insurance, right? And I say regular as in home, auto, uh, you know, and not flood that try to take those those lessons and bring them over to flood, and they're sorely uh, wrong when something you know happens with a flood policy and and or something in the flood market, and it's just not something that can be directly tied. Uh, from one part of the market over to the other for exactly those reasons. So, and, and you mentioned a couple times, you know, your posts and your blogs and all the different things that you do. Talk to us a little bit. You know, I I follow all the videos that you do, and I love the posts that you make, and I, I see you in your videos uh, with some very interesting, and we opened the, the show today with some with a comment about how your videos are not just educational, they're actually extremely entertaining as well. Talk to us a little bit not only about the videos and education, but how, you know, how do you, how do you use those props and what are they for our listeners? What are those props and how do you convey the messages with them? Well, one thing you'll always notice with our videos, at least until this date, you know, 750 videos later, is we've never shot a video in front of a green screen. All of our videos are generally shot on location about what we're talking about. You know, if there's water behind us, if there's a building we're talking about, the reason for that is that I tell someone, hey, if my video is on mute, I want you still to understand what I'm talking about. I want you to be able to relate to it. You know, if we're talking about flood claims, I want something popping up in that that will stay in your mind and help you understand that. And that's why they're always shot on location. Now, when it comes to my hats, I've worn all cognitive hats. Yeah, I bought my first hat probably two years ago. It's a poop hat that says happens. And the reason I bought that hat is people kept saying, I'm in a low-risk flood zone and I don't need flood insurance. And so I bought that hat strictly after Hurricane Harvey. Say, look, you know, crap happens sometimes. That's why you always need flood insurance. Now, I've got one right now. It's uh, an elephant I put on my head when I'm talking about the elephant in the room when I'm talking about flood map changes. I've got a Pinocchio, you know, that I use when I'm talking, you know, just proving myths. I have got a uh, my daughter's little mermaid wig that I use disguised as a woman when I'm talking about disguised flood zones sometimes. And then I've also even got some uh, grandfather outfits when I'm talking about grandfathering and prefurb, uh, all these different things. I've got one that says uh, wings and it's a pig. And, it, and the reason I bought that one was people said, hey, my house would never flood. And that's the whole thing is, you know, it'll flood when pigs fly. Guess what? Pigs are flying. <laughs> 
Oh, that is great. And and I think to your point, you know, the the videos, which if if they haven't, so so we usually do this at the end, but if people have not seen the videos, where can they find them? On YouTube, correct? Yeah, they're on YouTube, Flood Insurance Guru. We also have them on our Facebook um, business page, Flood Insurance Guru. And then I'm also uh, posting a lot of them over the Instagram now. And I said, I normally have a podcast that will go with them strictly to do the audio version, which is on our website or our podcast, which is Flood Insurance Guru. And the same thing with our website, which is floodinsuranceguru.com, where we also put all those blogs for the map changes uh, and just our general blog and our podcast. So, so you noted that you never do them in front of a green screen. I can verify that because I've watched a few of them. And, you know, to your point, I think I didn't realize that's why you did them. So you could actually mute them and still get the, the idea. But that is true. I mean, you, you see the visuals, you see the words, you see the hats. You, you really get a good understanding. Um, you mentioned also that you're doing these for all the map changes. So does that mean you're actually going to these locations for when the maps change? I was until COVID hit, so that really has limited me a lot. But I'm actually flying to San Francisco in three weeks to shoot our videos in San Francisco for four hours and getting back on a plane to Phoenix that night to shoot off our content in Phoenix the next day, Tucson the day after that, and then I read out back to Atlanta. Wow. San Francisco is getting their first flood map ever in about uh, three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. So, there's, so you're really tracking these changes and trying to help people in those areas by doing educational videos about the map change process, which Tim and I can verify is not an easy piece for people to understand. You know, the one thing I think that that really highlights, and I've said this at conferences for years, which is a map change that brings somebody into a high-risk flood zone is sometimes somebody's first interaction ever with the National Flood Insurance Program or flood insurance in general. And how we treat that customer sets the tone for the rest of their experience with flood insurance. You know, that either that person says, oh, that was a really good experience. And I'll purchase flood insurance even if I don't have to, or this is a terrible experience and I don't want a thing to do with it and FEMA is terrible and blah, 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 blah. So with that being said, you know, what are, are, are your map change videos? Are they something where you get a lot of traction in the communities that you're filming them in? We do. Or we actually have a lot of agents who reach out to us because we actually handle a lot of the flood insurance for agents across the country. And they're like, hey, this map change just changed my area. What can I do? And we've already got the video. We've already got the blog, the podcast. They can share it with their audience. And that way to their audience, they almost feel like maybe an authority there where it can drive some customers in because they're being a resource for them. But what we do is I call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what we do is we teach people six months before the match change. Hey, it's changing on this date. This is what you need to do before then. If it's too late, this is what you need to do after then. You know, this is how you can possibly fight it. These are not always correct, especially in lake areas where sometimes FEMA will see a boathouse at the same level as the main home. So, the, you know, this is how you fight it. And I do the good, the bad, and the ugly. What I talk about is, now, the good might be people move from a high risk to a low risk. The bad might be people move into the special flood hazard area for the first time. And then the ugly might be people who go from maybe an AE to a V. And then I just talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. I talk about generally how many properties are impacted. And I talk about the date when this change is scheduled to take place. Because what we find is so many times an agent will set up a flood policy for them, but it sets them up as a standard policy, not a newly mapped policy. And now all of a sudden they're overcharged. Twelve to fifteen hundred dollars for that year. Interesting. So, Chris, um, you mentioned prior, you know, when pigs fly and 
claims and, and videos. So I'm, I'm curious to, a lot of your videos have, you know, event driven things where people said, you know, oh, it's not going to flood in this area or realtors or a person looking at a particular home. They're, are they able to look at an area and say, geez, look at that flood. I never saw like that area get hit that hard. You know, I'm just curious, like on that side, you know, getting that message out seems to be difficult to a lot of stakeholders that, yeah, you're in a high risk and this is what can happen. And so, you know, what I try to do in that situation, like uh, I traveled through Nebraska, Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma right after the flooding. I mean, the waters were so high mm. uh, in Tulsa. You've got this hotel that literally was completely shut down. Four uh, floors were covered in water and we're shooting right in front of it. And they're like, this hasn't happened in a hundred years, but then they see it and they realize it can happen. Yeah, that's, that's really important um, to be able to capture that real time actual flood because you know it's interesting that you know we we you know in new england obviously much like in other areas of the country we have a lot real old housing stock and so tim and i will hear fairly frequently well this house has been here for 300 years you know and it's never had water and our rebuttal to that is yet because you know like you said it's one of those things where uh just because it hasn't happened or hasn't happened in a long time doesn't mean that it won't happen. So having that real life footage there uh, in, in responding to events like that is really critical. Um, so with that being said, you know, Chris, in, in all the, the work that you're doing and in the videos that you're shooting, talk to us a little bit about some of the more recent, um, some of the more recent work that you've done. Uh, some of the more, the more recent videos, because I know the most recent one I saw anyways was some myths about the NFIP, which actually allowed you to use your most recent prop, as I understand it, which is the Pinocchio nose. Yeah, actually a big one I just shot last week, and I saw this because I saw someone be an interview on TV. It says, hey, my community is being suspended from the National Flood Insurance Program. Well, if they get reinstated, I'm stuck with this private policy for the next year. So one of the myths there that I wanted to prove was wrong to them was saying, look, pay attention to minimum earned premium on that private flood policy. That's going to dictate if and when you can go back to the National Flood Insurance Program. The other thing was, hey, I can't move from FEMA to a private policy midterm if I want, but can I move from a private to a FEMA midterm? And people was like, you know, they just assume, no, I can't. And so that was one of the videos I talked about was kind of moving back and forth between those. You know, what product is the best fit? Mm, that's really interesting. Um, what do you think, do you have any ideas on what some of your upcoming content may be if we're allowed to take a sneak peek inside? Yeah, like for example, right now, I just shot 20 different flood map updates for this month. Um, other than that, I'm waiting to see kind of what happens with NFLP risk rating 2.0. Uh, I continue to break down the entire NFIP manual, claims manual. So some of the big stuff I've done recently is helping people understand the difference between the dwelling form, the general form, the R, you know, the RC bat form, how private mirrors those, and sometimes they don't mirror those, how to understand when you're getting replacement costs when you're not based on the form. Well, that's really important because, uh, you know, that's a great transition into kind of what we were going to talk about next, which is where is all of this going. It's something that we talk at length about with all of our guests at some point during the conversation is kind of where we're headed right now. And I think this this podcast is so timely because just this week, it seems that there's article after article based on First Street Foundation's release of information 
uh, about some of the projections that they anticipate to have happen with this risk rating 2.0 program, which for our listeners, well, I think we mentioned 2.0 in every single podcast that we've done, but for those listening, 2.0 is the potential change coming October 1st of 2021 this year um, that would change the rating methodologies and methods for the National Flood Insurance Program. So with that kind of background, you know, Chris, as, as you know, obviously you're very in tune with what's going on out there in the industry. You know, what's your perspective on on not just 2.0, but the future of, of the NFIP? Well, I think the NFIP really needs to be updated. Yeah, I'd love to see them completely get out of flood business, but we all know that's never going to happen because there's just going to be certain properties that private companies will never touch. There are going to be people who just can't get something reasonable. But I think it is time for NFIP to update it, get some of that technology, which risk rating 2.0, they should be pushing forward with what a lot of private companies are doing with these flood scores and these flood risks and all this different stuff. So I think it's really important to also see, hey, NFIP isn't just sitting back. They're trying to move forward. And I think that as property owners, stakeholders, agents, we need to appreciate that. You know, how hard is it to get a government agency to push forward? Look what they're trying to do. I think the other thing is, too, is that sometimes these, they won't call these underwriters and just attack them. So look, write your own cares. They have no control over it. They are strip, strictly administering the National Flood Insurance Program. So don't take it out on them. They can be a very valuable resource for you. For example, a lot of the underwriters and the marketing rats for these write your own carriers actually provide us with a lot of our content. Because what I try to do, anytime I'm going to put something out, I read it in an NFIP manual. I try to verify it with an NFIP underwriter. And then I also try to speak with someone at a write your own carrier to make sure we're, we're putting out legitimate, accurate information every time. And if we don't have a video that is accurate, that's going to say, hey, this is changing your video. Do you mind changing this? We will absolutely go back and put a correction. No problem. Hmm. You know, one of those where that one of those where that happened was, you know, FEMA was set to release a copy of flood losses to the public. Then they changed their mind. Well, I forgot to go back and update the video. And NFIP emailed me on it, so I went back and updated the video that you know this was scheduled to happen, but they decided against it. Where you know where property owners can really be the only ones that get that information still. Speaking of that, do you think like you know that flood will ever get to a clue report similar to what you find in a home, where an agent will be able to pull up a property and be like? Bing, we see, you know, here's a claim that happened from, you know, for flood two years ago. You know, it's just would, such a hard thing to. I would really like it, but the problem is that there are so many different private companies in the National Flood Insurance Program. I really wish they would put all those claims into a database because it can actually help each other. It can help the National Flood Insurance Program. It can help the private companies get a better understanding of the risk. It could give the information to someone buying it. Like if you see what's happened in Texas. With the disclosure law change about two years ago, strictly off Harvey, where people were hiding flood claims. They were hiding really what the flood risk was. And now you have to not only disclose what flood zone you're in, you have to disclose if the property is ever flooded. You even have to disclose if you're between two reservoirs in Texas now. And so that's a good step forward. I just don't know if they ever will. I mean, they need to, but there's just so many companies out there. If you could get them to report to a central database, it would help everybody. Hmm. That's really interesting. And, and on that, what do you do you so there's a constant battle going on between administrative change and legislative change, right? The legislators are kind of waiting to see what 2.0 looks like and 2.0 is changing things that legislative changes may have changed. Um, So with all that going on, I mean, what is what are your thoughts about some of the big legislative changes that either you'd like to see in the program or that you think may be coming down the pike here? 
You see, with the legislative, you just don't know, especially with the way Congress changes, you know, presidential elections. It almost feels like, you know, anytime that happens, it's like starting over. You know, you get, you know, 80% there and you have a new administration come in who has different agendas. All right, we're starting over again. Like, you know, let's go back to 2014, you know, when we were talking about the uh, um, Big Waters Act, you know, and now look where we're at now in 2020 and still really no resolved issue there. Like, it's just like it's we're just constantly like almost in a hamster wheel. And so we got to keep moving forward, just like the long term reauthorizations. Like, look, either fund the program or don't. But mm. these short term extensions are not doing anybody any good. No. You know, the program's not getting the money that they need. Uh, risk rating 2.0, like, I know people are fighting, hey, this isn't fair, this isn't, you know, this isn't right. But for so long, people keep buying these properties and repetitively flood. They keep rebuilding them. You can't survive long-term like that. And uh, I talk to people every day just this week. I feel like FEMA hates me because I'm an investor or I have a secondary property. I said, you know what? You're right. I said, because the National Flood Insurance Program was designed to help people who had lost their primary home, maybe their primary business. And I said, that's, you know, that's where they still focus. That's why you have these different surcharges. That's why you're getting these 25% rate increases on pre-firm business policies now, pre-firm non-primary. You know, they're trying to get out of that. They're trying to push a little bit of that out to the private market and the, the reinsurers for that reason. I said, we're getting away from how the program was originally designed, but the reason they have to provide it is legally they have to. That's why. Interesting. Yeah, and we always like to try to get that perspective from those that we talk to because what we're finding, Tim, Tim and I both, when we talk to our experts in all the different areas that we talk, um, it seems to be uh, a very common thread amongst um, uh, our, our, um, those that we're interviewing, which is uh, legislative changes, we, we need a long-term reauthorization one way or the other. Uh, the short-term extensions are killing the certainty uh, of the marketplace. Um, and, it's, and it's frustrating. I mean, I think Tim and I, you know, in, in the different work that we do in the insurance space, um, you know, we recognize uh, that that is an unstable or uncertain flood program uh, definitely hurts the real estate market. Something else I would like to see too is more accountability from surveyors and engineers. You know, with an engineer, they can be held responsible for more information. But what a lot of people don't realize, when you go get an elevation certificate, technically, they can only be held responsible for the elevation numbers. And so, so many times we see them use the wrong diagram number, and they're you know they'll put on there it's a crawl space really a slab. I've got one like that right now. So maybe finding a way, hey, how can we hold them more responsible for things like this? If you're going to put that information out there, just like if there's an insurance agent, if I put it out there, it has to be accurate. Um, so to that, um, the, la the, the one of the questions that we ask every single person that comes on to the podcast is what is the biggest, what is the most important piece of flood insurance or the flood program in every, I think, Tim, if I'm not mistaken, I would say probably nine out of 10 people on the podcast say that education remains our best and uh, best foot forward in the national flood insurance program to continue the program uh, in a way that's uh, positive. Um, Chris, I think you, uh, I think you in your role uh, would not only agree, but you're actually doing that and trying to make uh, people understand flood better. Would you say that, you know, a lot of the issues that you're seeing are basically an issue around the education of the flood industry? 
Absolutely. And the issue is, look, FEMA wants to put this education out there. They're trying to put this education out there. But the problem is simply a lot of property owners don't trust them, so they are tuned out. And so that's why we try to provide a lot of that information. Even people with FEMA and the National Flood Insurance Program have reached out and said, look, you know, for some reason, the listeners are willing to listen to a third party more than they are us. So I think it's really important as people in the community, you know, like yourself, like Tim, of getting that information out there because it feels like people – are more trustworthy towards us than maybe they are towards the government. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good, that's a really great perspective that I think Tim and I can relate to, right, Tim? I mean, think about the map changes in like 2013 when we started the process yeah. up here. And you, you talk about the things we would hear at some of these meetings, you know, people basically saying things that weren't even close to be true, but just because they didn't have the understanding and education uh, and weren't willing to listen to the the people at the front of the room, uh, which were uh, the ones causing the map changes. So uh, understandably so. That's a really unique perspective. I don't think that's something that we've heard, um, that you know, education needs to come from those third parties um, because a lot of the times maybe FEMA's education falls on deaf ears, at least when it comes to this average person just trying to buy a home or, or run a business. Um, now, let's be honest. Like when you're talking about insurance agency, like you're in New England, these agents on the coast, oh, they absolutely have it, like Texas. And that's one of the reasons we spend so much time inland. There's not a lot of education out there, people who don't run across it very often. Uh, for example, after Oklahoma, do you know how many people I've talked to said, hey, my insurance agent told me I wasn't in a flood zone, so I didn't buy flood insurance. Mm. And so I think as you get inland, you know, what? for example, coastal flooding, people think Florida, but what people don't think of is the greatest risk I think right now coastal flooding over the next couple of years is in the Great Lakes area. Yeah. And people at coastal, I mean, that's not a beach. Well, a beach doesn't technically mean coastal. It means the way the water comes in with the land. Look at what's happening in Chicago. Look what's happening in different areas on these, these Great Lakes, yeah. you know, these closed basin lakes. And it's important that when you get in there that these people understand that and, and getting that information out there. That's the struggle is that we try to produce as much as we can, but I, honestly, I can't keep up with it because there's so much lack of information as you get inland. I mean, people just don't know what to do. That's really interesting. Yeah, and we, I mean, I think Tim and I see this and, and so do our constituents on an average, on a daily basis where maybe, you know, their policy is being transferred from, from somebody more inland to coastal and the understanding just grows, you know, in, you know, higher, you know, as you, because of that potential lack uh, in education. And I definitely think you hit a nail on the head. We don't talk enough about the Great Lakes flooding they're at the highest levels they have been in, in decades, if not ever, in some places. Uh, we connected recently with somebody in the Great Lakes area um, who's trying to solve an issue because nobody knows how to address the gradual erosion that they're facing there, um, which is obviously an exclusion <laughs> in most flood insurance policies. So it's um, something that uh, I think, Chris, you're definitely uh, at the forefront of uh, it's something that I think as an industry we're going to continue to grapple with, but it's an awareness issue that at least we know that flood education uh, is is not is lacking, but that we're going to as an industry as a in a as a whole um, hopefully start headed towards a place where there's more. Um, and and with that, Chris, we've got about two minutes left here in the podcast. Is there anything here at the end that you'd like to let the audience know? Um, either about you or the stuff we've talked about today or any, any thoughts? Yeah, if there's uh, maybe some content ideas that you think we haven't covered that you'd like to see covered, you know, reach out to us. 
Um, I go off a book called They Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan. So what we do through all of our content is we're simply answering our customers' questions and the questions that are being asked in the community um, to, because that's what people want the answers to. Wow. That's great. Tim, I think you and I can come up with a list of things to get Chris to... My, my brain's already going. I'm going to have a list of videos. <laughs> we definitely could. Not with Chris, you, you may not want to say that because we're definitely going to start to reach out and utilize you because I think it's uh, important to have partners like you out there that are willing to you know, develop that type of content. And, you know, your videos, I think what another thing I'd like to leave our listeners with is the videos are not, not, you know, half hour long videos. In many cases, you're doing very concise, very attentive videos that uh, give you a snapshot of the issue in these bite sizes, which we have recognized for a long time uh, is the way that people like to consume their information. And obviously you, you learn that too. Yeah, they're all like two and a half minutes long, but also like I tell people too, you know, I started with a year of video, I got to 500, I kept going now, I'm in the middle of the thousand videos in a thousand days, and I think we just passed like video 760, so I'm scheduled to hit my thousandth video, I think around September sometime. Wow, wow, incredible. Talk about a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of content. Um, well, here's what we'll do, Chris. We are going to um, definitely reach out with some ideas over the next few months. Uh, and we are definitely going to start to share uh, videos that you're doing to give people a bit, an idea of kind of the content that's out there and the information. I think it's a wealth of knowledge for people that are uh, unsure uh, about flood risk. And as you noted, as we talked about today, it's not getting any easier. I mean, with risk rating 2.0, this, what I call the transition period here is going to be the most critical time. You know, there'll be a time when we're in 2.0 and there's a time when we're not in 2.0, but that transition window is going to be our most important part of this yeah. whole process. And in, in the education around that, as you've highlighted, and is, is really going to be important. Um, so with that, Chris, we want to thank you so much for being on the No Flood Newscast today. Uh, we didn't not only learned a lot by understanding your videos, but also learned a lot about understanding your perspective in, in you. Um, and so if anyone wants, so one more time, I know during the podcast you mentioned it, where can people find you in your videos? Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel, which is Flood Insurance Guru. You can check out our podcast, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Flood Insurance Guru. Same thing with our website, floodinsuranceguru.com. And the same thing with our Facebook page as well as LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chris. And uh, hey, Tim, thanks, thanks for uh, uh, talking with uh, all of us today. And uh, thank you to our audience. And we will uh, talk to everybody soon.